Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom! Welcome to Bible Interact Presents. I am one of the Bible Interact teachers. I am Dr. Ann Davis. About 15 years ago, God allowed me to see something about the remnant. I was in Israel at the time, studying, and I responded with a burning curiosity and a deep desire to know more. At that point, I committed my life to very serious Bible study, and God then led me to understand the ancient methods, the first century methods of searching the scriptures, because I had been taught, as we all have, in the traditional Bible study, which is Greek-oriented. I had to learn to think Hebrew. I was in Israel at the time, actually, at an Olpan, which is a special training school for crashing people into into Hebrew. It was back in the mid to late 90s when the after the Iron Curtain had fallen and the Russians were flooding in, the Russian Jews. And so I became immersed in, in the Hebrew, understanding the Hebrew language, and this helped me to reconstruct, to recover those ancient methods of searching the scriptures. Now, of course, people in the ancient world didn't have books like we did. They, they listened to the text, and that's what we're going to do today. I'm, I'm going to launch a program which will lead to a number of teachings about the remnant, but I can't do it in one, one session. There's too much. God has shown me too much, and the whole topic of the remnant will, will open up for you God's whole plan, what he's doing, it will also help you understand what he's calling you to do today. It will give you a much better understanding of what is future. And the purpose, of course, of seeing the future is so that you will stand now, because he's calling us now for a very important calling. It has nothing to do with who will be saved and who will not be saved. It all is wrapped up in in how God is working, not only with his children, but with the whole world. And it involves not only now and a little tiny point on the future, but it's, it's a very major, major plan on God's part that that we we can see in in past that is pointing to now that is still pointing to a lot that is going to happen in the future and it's I think it's important for us to really understand that now I am going to uh, to kind of nibble away at this topic and I'll do this in a number of sessions in this particular session I simply want to address the question of what is the relationship of the Jews to God What is the relationship of the children of Israel to God? And I am going to share with you my conclusion. I'm going to show you from Scripture why I have drawn this conclusion. I am not the source for truth, so you're going to have to search the Scriptures yourself. 
all I'm going to do is open up those scriptures for you and encourage you to go in and ver either verify what I'm saying or to go in and look for yourself and to come to your own conclusion. I'm going to start with a common theology. The common theology insists that only those Jews who believe in Jesus will be saved. Now my research, of course, suggests another conclusion. Now I, I found on the internet a, um, something that was, was posted by Jack Kelly. He's an author, a pastor, and a teacher. Uh, he's my colleague. I respect him in many ways. I don't have to agree with everything he says. I don't happen to agree with this particular comment that he posted. He said, Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then uh, he, he points to John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 6. And then he continues, Jews who die without Jesus are lost, in the same way that Gentiles who die without Jesus are lost. This is a very common theology. Another common theology that is beginning to crop up is that only those who are Torah observant or only those who in their hearts, you know, study the law and, and walk in the ways of the law, they're the only ones who are going to be saved. That's actually a new theology called Lordship Theology that by new, it maybe emerged about uh, 20 years ago. It was made popular by John MacArthur. Um, I disagree with that, and and this concept of the remnant is going to disagree with, with both of those common theologies. Now, what I'm going to show you in this session is that God declares that he is the father of the children of Israel. He calls all the children of Israel his firstborn son, and there's a relationship between the father and the son. Now, this I just want to show you how important this is. And and he does not change his mind. God does not change his mind. He does not say, well, you know, you have to believe in, in my son, the Yeshua, or the coming of Yeshua. Otherwise, I, you're not going to be my son anymore. Or, you know, you have to make him Lord in your life. Otherwise, you're not going to be my son anymore. I suggest that that, that is not biblical. All right, now let's go into scripture and let me show you some things. And, and this is going to be a study session. I'm not just going to tell you things. It's going to be a study session. You may want to get your Bibles. And if you don't get your Bibles, um, you might want to take a look at these, these passages later. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, we read, Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Now God is talking to his children, the children of Israel, do you, not re, do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he, meaning God, your father who has bought you, he has made you and established you? This is a rhetorical question. In other words, you are foolish, you are dummies. Don't you know that God is your father? That's the way a rhetorical question works. Everybody knows the answer. The answer is yes, God is our father. All right now, we're going. To, there are three things we're going to do here. First of all, you cannot take a verse out of its context. We're going to look at the context to be able to fully understand this verse. Then I'm going to have you listen the way the people of the ancient world, ancient Israel, would have listened. They would have heard things. And then we're going to go to key words, and I'm going to 
because we're going to hear the keywords, and then I'm going to show you what you have to do with the keywords. You have to look them up. So, in the context, the verse that comes before says, The children of Israel have acted corruptly toward God, not his children because of their defect, a perverse and crooked generation. Now, I have read from the New American Standard Version translation, and I have deleted what was put in italics. The editors added words to help us understand, but they placed the added words in italics, fortunately, because by adding the italics, it often offers an interpretation, the real meaning of the verse. So with the italics, it says, they are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked uh, generation. So this makes it sound like they're not his children anymore. And that's not what the verse says. Let me read it again. They, the children of Israel, have acted corruptly toward him, toward God, not his children. In other words, how are they acting corruptly? They're acting like they're not his children. God hasn't said you're not my children. They're acting like they're not his children because of their defect, a perverse and crooked generation. Now, after that comes, do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who has bought you, made you, and established you? What we have to do is we have to hear, we have to hear it in its context, and we have to hear the key words. The key words are in that uh, uh, preceding verse that gives the context. It starts out, they have acted corruptly toward him, not his children. Hebrew is a visual language. It, it kicks off all kinds of pictures in your mind, as well as all the five senses. You can hear, see, th hear things. You know, you can almost touch and feel, and you can almost hear the army coming in, you know, the Assyrians coming in to conquer. But certainly it's a visual language. The picture we get from this acting corruptly is a picture of absolute ruins a place where the enemy has come in and has torn down the walls of the city and all that is left a pile of ruins. That's our picture. That's the children of Israel. <laughs> they're not acting like his children. They're, they're sitting in a pile of ruins because of their defect. All right, what you have to do is you have to use a concord. And you can go online to biblos.com and t take a look there. Or there are many concordances online. Look it up in a concordance. The word defect is referring to a, to something, a blemish of some kind. And what kicks off in the mind of the people of ancient Israel is that their gift to God is an unblemished animal. They give the very best to God but they are now acting as blemished animals. They're not a gift to God. They're walking in sinful ways. They're not a gift to God. Only when they're unblemished are they a gift to God. And then it goes on, they're, a, they're perverse. Well, perverse gives you a picture of a crooked path, a path that's winding around, it's not straight. And again, the visual image for Israel is that they are to walk in a straight path. A straight path 
that is the righteous path, the ways of God. But they're not walking on a straight path. They're walking on a crooked path. And then it calls them, actually the English here is crooked generation. The Hebrew word is only used one time in the entire Bible. It is in this verse. That makes it significant. The ancient ear would have heard it. It's an unusual word. I had to look it up in a um, a concordance that that not only gives me the Hebrew, but it but it also gives how the word is used throughout ancient literature, especially in the in the ancient Greek literature, and and so in the ancient world, I can see how this word is used. It's used in connection with wrestling. And when you're wrestling, your body is contorted in all kinds of shapes. And that's that's the way I believe this word is being used here, about being all contorted and, you know, in this, in this agony of wrestling, where if you were just walking in a straight path, for heaven's sakes, you'd be in the, the light of God, the glory of God, the peace of God. That's where you would be instead of all twisted and, and, and tortured. So what we have in our verse is, do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? He's your father. Is he not he your father? He's your father. He's made you, he has bought you and made you and established you. Now, I'm not going to go into those words, but which you should do, by the way, in Deuteronomy 32.6. He, he is your father who has bought you. What's the word for bought? He has made you. What's that word? And what are the echoes that it kicks off in your mind? He has established you. He has caused you to stand. Actually, I'll, my, okay, well, I'll, I'm going to let you do that. I think it's important. I can't tell you everything. You've got to learn how to go to Scripture yourself. Now what I want to do, I've shown you that God is the father of his children, and he's treating them like children. When they walk out of his ways, he's treating them like children. He is their father. Now I want to show you that he calls the children of Israel his firstborn son. He calls all the children of Israel his firstborn son. This statement by God occurs during the Exodus event. You will remember that God brought four, uh, not four, seven plagues upon Egypt. The last plague was the plague of death that killed all the firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. All of them. Not one. All. And that included, of course, the Pharaoh's son, but it included all the firstborn males, all of them, whether they were babies or, or teenagers or adults, if they were the firstborn, they died. And that applied to all the animals also, because the, the firstborn animal was considered sacred to give to God. And all the firstborn man and animal died. But God says in Exodus 4.22 to Moses, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Because the children of Israel were God's firstborn son, he caused death to pass over them. So he was rescuing, he was delivering his firstborn son, but all the other firstborn sons, both man and animal, died in Egypt. Now, the firstborn son was entitled to a special inheritance called the birthright just because he was born first. That is a very special inheritance, and all the children of Israel have been born to this, this special inheritance called the birthright. The birthright is a leadership role. The firstborn son becomes the leader of his clan or tribe. He leads them in battle. 
He becomes their high priest because he has a direct relationship to God and can speak for God. When the firstborn son speaks, he is speaking for God and all the others bow down to him. Um, he is going to produce abundant seed, which will be righteous seed, because he is being groomed to be righteous. Now let's talk about this being groomed to be righteous, because that's us, folks. We are being groomed to be righteous also, not because that's the only way we can belong to God and be saved, but because all the children of God are being groomed to be righteous, but only those who are worthy will inherit this special inheritance called the birthright. Now let me show this to you. All the children then are God's firstborn son. Then God said, um, continuing on, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. The role of the one with the birthright, the role of the one with the firstborn son, is to submit to God in humble obedience and serve God. That's what it is. When you walk in righteousness, you have submitted to God. You are committed to obeying him in humble obedience. You have made Yeshua Lord in your life. Uh, he, Lord means boss, all right? So you're, and your, your goal is to, is to walk as he walked in service under your Lord Yeshua. Now, let me show you this role of service. Um, and, and a little bit more about it, because uh, God also explains to the children of Israel, you, children of Israel, are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He has selected you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now that Hebrew word for chosen is bahar, it's a three-letter verbal root from which we get other words. Now, I think it's important for you to know the other words. Besides chosen or elect, we have the word firstborn. Behor is, is, means firstborn. It comes from the word chosen. So the firstborn is chosen for a special role. We get Behorah, which is birthright. The, the firstborn is born to the inheritance of the firstright. And we get one more, which is really important. It's Bikurim. Bikurim means first fruits. In other words, if we are acting in a way to inherit this special inheritance, we give ourselves as first fruits to God. Those first fruits are the, be the very best. We give ourselves as, as a living sacrifice, says Paul, um, to God as, as the very, very, very best. Now, God takes his children, the children of Israel, who have been born to the birthright, and he says, now look, your role is to serve me and to be a leader of your people. And only those who rise up into that leadership position are going to inherit the birthright. Everybody else still belongs to me, but they're not going to be in a leadership position. So let me show you how you can rise into that leadership position. And he does it in two ways. Because following the Exodus is 40 years of wilderness wandering. God took away from them all the worldly trappings, including relying on the world for our food, relying on the world for our water, relying on the world for, for all kinds of comforts and pleasures and all kinds of things like that. He took it all away and put them into the Sinai wilderness. Now, he, he tested them, he, no, excuse me, he instructed them in two ways. The first way was by giving them the law. The second way was by testing. Let's look at giving them the law because we read in Exodus 24, 7, 
Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. All that the Lord was spoken, we will do and we will obey. They responded. Now that's not true. That that all all um, that all heard and obeyed. Hear means to hear to the extent that you're going to do it. Now this applies to to Christian believers as well. All Christian believers belong to God by their faith in Christ. This is my conclusion. I'll do more on that in a later session. Um, but not all make Jesus Lord in their lives. Not all say, we will do and we will obey. But those who do respond that way, are God is raising them up into a leadership role, and that leadership role is going to lead to a special inheritance at some time in the future. Now, the other way he was instructing his children was through the process of testing. Testing is when he lets us fall down and scrape our knee. That's the way I like to explain it. So that we go, oops, we were walking in the ways of the world. We walked, we didn't walk in a straight path in righteousness. We were walking on that crook. So we go, oh, help. Oh, God, please please return us to your way. We're, we're going to do it your way from now on. <laughs> That's the whole concept of testing. And we read in the Exodus account that people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, they weren't ready yet to, to trust in God directly. They had to have an intermediary, and that intermediary was Moses. And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. So this is the way that God instructs us through testing. By the way, God has sent his son Yeshua. The role of Yeshua is to bring us into the presence of the Father. But we can only do that by becoming one with Yeshua first. We have to make him Lord. We have to walk in his ways. We have to get to know him intimately. And as this happens, he will bring us into the presence of the Father. Now, um, this, this whole understanding of the relationship between God and his children, who are the Jews, is also important to us today. I'm, I, I want to end by putting it into your life today. And you put it into your life today, you, you have to know that you belong to God. Um, again, we'll do more on, on future sessions. Let's just assume that you know you belong to God. Now, you want to learn God's ways. Well, we have the Word of God. We study the Word of God. But it isn't enough, you see, to just put it in our heads. That isn't enough. We have to put it in our hearts. We have to get to the point where the law is written on our hearts. Now, God has said that he has written the law in our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can activate that law by our love and faith in our Lord Yeshua. That's how we can do it. But we also need to respond to this whole concept of testing. So let's take a little bit more time about testing and putting how to put testing into our lives. I um, am reading now from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, and I have a picture in my mind of, um, I love Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell did uh, drawings that were very human. I mean, they just really brought to life uh, all the human characteristics of us. And I have a picture in my mind of the one where a policeman and a, and a young boy are sitting on stools at the old old-time cafeteria, 
cafe type thing. You know, they're getting their sodas. They're each getting a soda. And the little boy is sitting next to the policeman. But instead of being afraid of the policeman, the policeman is leaning down and kind of talking to the little boy in a very special way. In Deuteronomy, we read, The Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. And then the other one is from Proverbs that that I dearly love, and I'll, I'll read that to you too. And the picture I get here is Norman Rockwell with the dad in front of a mirror in in the bathroom and he's shaving with that straight edge razor and the little boy his son is on a step stool so he can look in the mirror and he's looking at his dad shaving and he's pretending he's shaving too just like his father like the son my son we read in proverbs do not reject the discipline of the lord or loathe his reproof for whom the lord loves he reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights so I am going to end this session with the, the under, my understanding that Scripture tells us that God is a father to his son, the Jews, and the way he is training them is through this, this process of testing. Shalom.